Good morning, everyone. If you are joining us for the very first time, and if you have never seen me before, my name is Jason Raharjo. I'm the youth pastor here at White Rock Baptist Church. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. I and the other pastoral staff have the privilege of, uh, to speak every once in a while throughout the year, and this morning it's my turn to give, uh, to give Pastor Brian, our, our senior pastor, a break. <laughs> and probably to evaluate me, no doubt. But uh, <laughs> while I have the mic, I, I wanted to take a second to thank everyone again who came out to our youth concert fundraiser. Uh, last weekend, and on behalf of the youth and the young adult ministry, uh, thank you for your support. It means a lot to me, especially as a youth pastor, to have uh, people in the congregation uh, having my back and, and, and all that support. So thank you. Before I read from scripture this morning, if you're, you're joining us for the first time and maybe you're unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe you're unfamiliar with Christianity, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And allow me to briefly fill you in on what's going on. Over the last few weeks, We've been going through 1 Timothy, a book in the Bible, uh, and if you're unfamiliar with that book or that name, uh, within the Bible, there's, there's historical books, there's poems, songs, uh, written accounts of Jesus, and letters. And 1 Timothy is a letter written by a guy named Paul. Paul is one of the most influential writers of the Bible. Before he, he followed Jesus, Paul was one of those guys who hated and persecuted Christians and wanted them dead. Long story short, God intervenes and his life is changed forever. He, from then on, went on to preach and spread the news of Jesus throughout uh, ancient Western Asia and Eastern Europe, teaching from city to city and writing and consequently was thrown into prison a few times and ultimately martyred for his faith. During those times, Paul was mentoring a couple young guys, one of them named Titus and the other named Timothy. They were great young leaders, and Paul taught and cared for them and wrote to them when they were apart. Uh, and so this letter uh, to Timothy was, uh, Timothy was at, a, at the time in a city called Ephesus. Paul is writing and giving him directions on how to, to run the church in the city. There are many issues the church in Ephesus is challenged with. Paul giving, gave warning to Timothy about false teachers, the misuse of the law, how to pray, direction to, to church leadership, hypocrisy, financial problems. And, and this morning, the passage I'll be reading from speaks of how to act towards the elderly and to widows, uh, and... Uh, widows of all ages in and outside of the church at that time. And to give you an idea about the culture back then, when it came to widows in the first century, Jewish synagogues gave careful attention to their care. And so the early Christian church followed that custom. And you see, in the culture of those days, a widow could not ordinarily find any employment and so would need financial support. They did not have insurance income or social security, job opportunities. Their, their situation was very different. And by the time Paul wrote the letter, the, the church had recognized its obligation. Uh, and so relief was being administered to the widows. But at the same time, certain principles and regulations had to be laid down. Uh, as widows began to uh, take advantage of the church's generosity, it was, it was a bit tricky. And so Paul gives guidance to Timothy uh, as to the way he should deal with the delicate situation. 
And looking at this passage, there is an overarching theme uh, in Paul's message to Timothy. This theme relates to all of us, especially for those of us who, who follow Jesus. We are called to care for the elderly, the widows, and everyone. We are called to care and show compassion. And just so you're not thrown off, I wanted to let you know in advance where I'm going uh, in this message this morning. I wanted to explain my train of thought just so that there aren't any surprises. I believe that during this present day and age, it is more difficult to be compassionate and caring for others than ever before. And a huge reason for that is the technology that we now have access to. And me being a youth pastor and someone who loves technology, it will be my approach this morning. So we'll read about the care for widows and elderly and then discuss the overarching theme uh, of compassion and care for everyone. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 to 16. Um, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And the, it will be up on the screen there for you to read along with me. Um, I find this English structure more relatable and to, to understand. And again, please keep in mind as I read the context and culture of the time. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 16. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. These two verses was a, was a good reminder for all of us, uh, to all of us younger folk uh, to speak with respect to the elderly and with sensitivity and care. Uh, like most churches, we consist naturally of different ages, different uh, genders, economic differences, and so on. And at times, there are tensions between the, the differences. And it's important for any leader, and even non-leader, especially young ones, to handle things with sensitivity, care, and respect. Young people this morning, we are blessed to have an abundance of experience, wisdom, and knowledge within our senior generation, and we, we need to respect and trust and love them. In senior generation, we have an amazing, passionate, dedicated, and loyal young group of people in this church, which just so happens to be our next generation. What a blessing. And my prayer for all of us is to focus on building each other up and moving forward together uh, towards bringing people to Jesus. Verse 3. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be able to open, be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served others, other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. 
then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and taking, talking about things they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. So definitely some strong language used in that passage. You can see that there were there's some issues, some situational scenarios that had caused Paul to be concerned. We, we still must carefully observe it and apply what we can in helping widows and, and those in need with sensitivity, especially in our day of fragmented families. We must examine what we can take from that passage and see how it relates to us today. Although divorce and widowhood happened back then as it does now, there were usually no governmental institutions to substitute for the family and, and make things easier as they can uh, now. And it was, it was more complicated back then. But with all the complications, Timothy was advised to allow the church to concentrate its limited resources on helping those who were alone, trusting only in God and committed to service who were actually in need. Even then, Paul is still saying that each church should still see to it that no widow in his congregation is left penniless. So, from this passage, we see how Timothy is tasked with giving direction for, to the leaders to help assist and take care of the widows. There's, there's also the broader topic of compassion for all that comes up. What is the focus of our compassion today? God is committed to helping those who cannot help themselves. We see in Jesus' ministry, the theme of God's compassion is to help the poor, the sick, the outcasts of society, the displaced, and the marginalized. It was to these people that Jesus reached out. We are all called to care for one another, and especially those unable to care for themselves. The widows presented that church at that time with a specific need. In our church today, this basic need still exists. The church today, and I think we can all agree is that the church today should be God's channel of compassion as he seeks to include the excluded. And so we are faced with challenging times when it comes to compassion. We have challenges that never existed 2,000 years ago. Our ability to show compassion is more difficult now because of the technology that we use these days. And allow, allow me to explain. First, I'll say this, I love technology, um, maybe a little too much, and, and I think there are ways that technology can really help us, uh, and then there are ways that do not help us. Social media is the biggest platform now linked to our, our smartphones, our iPads, etc. And when I say social media, I'm, I'm talking about Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, and so on. And this technology can be used for doing a lot of good, but at the same time, it can harm us. I think. But I, I think social media can really help us make a difference in the world. There are so many different ways when you think about it. We, we can now raise awareness uh, more effectively than ever before for, for different ministries, organizations, all sorts of different things. And we, we can raise money easier. There can be things that nobody was talking about before that everybody will be talking about now, instantly, overnight, 
something can become very, very popular and known. But also, overnight people can also stop talking about it. Some of you might remember the ALS ice bucket challenge a couple years ago. Uh, for three or four weeks, that's all anybody did was dunk water over people's head. Uh, but nobody before that was talking about Lou Gehrig's disease. Then a lot of money was raised, and a lot of people were talking about it. Then, then it kind of passed. Right? There's so many benefits to technology, but we can see that sometimes things can become very well known, and then they're not. But an ex another example, uh, an example of beneficial social media recently was the support of the Humboldt tragedy, tragedy and how social media blew up to raise funds for the families and victims of the accident. They raised millions because the word spread so fast all over Canada, the US, and all over the world. And because of social media, people of all generations were able to understand what happened and effectively, effectively raise awareness and support. So to me, that's something positive that has come from social media. But there's definitely a negative side to this technology and its role in creating the value of care and compassion. We, we have to admit, especially the younger generation, that because of social media, we are more obsessed with ourselves than ever before. Right? I mean, the whole idea of selfies is a sign of of the times we are in. If you don't know what a selfie is, don't worry. It's, it's a new word that was created a few years ago, and it actually, as of 2013, it, it was put into the Oxford English Dictionary. Selfie, the definition is a photograph that one has taken of oneself, typically one taken with a smartphone or webcam and shared via social media. And for those of you who don't know, you need to realize, too, that there's more than just one type of selfie. It's not just a simple smiley picture of yourself. There are a lot of different types. I was debating whether or not I should demonstrate. Um, <laughs> sure, okay, so the simple smiley selfie, you know. Um, oh man. There's, there's the driving selfie. Don't do that, that's illegal. Um, there's the, uh, the couple selfie. There's a couple selfie. There's, uh, you know, I just ate this selfie. Um, there's the pastor's preaching selfie. <laughs> you know, um, can I do that again? Yeah, I just want to. Uh, and there's the one where you, you're, in, you're in front of the mirror and you just... With, the, with the, the, the phone in view in the mirror, you just take a picture and the, the outfit selfie, right? Um, anyways, I can't believe I just did that, but we've got to admit, especially the younger generation, we've, we're massively, massively more obsessed with ourselves than ever before. Studies show that 80% of what a person does on social media actually relates directly to the user. In other words, if I'm going on social media, I'm going to see what I'm interested in, what you're saying about me, and did you like my picture? Did you comment on it? About 80% of what we do on social media relates directly to us. And so you can see how self-centeredness is on the rise and how social media can cause us to care less about other people and more about ourselves. 
And a side note, social media can also create the very opposite of a caring atmosphere. I truly believe that it is one of the hardest times to be a teenager socially nowadays. When I was in high school, you know, most kids wanted to be popular, wanted to be liked. I know for me, I definitely wanted to, to know how many people liked me or, or as a friend or even more than a friend. Uh, I struggled with fitting in. Am I, am I wearing cool enough clothing? Do I have a certain amount of friends? How popular am I? All, all those pressures still exist today, but now you can actually tell and measure on social media how many likes or thumbs up you received on a, on the, on the picture, on, on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. You can actually make polls and literally ask everyone, do you like me, yes or no? And you get hundreds of kids saying yes or no. And that's crazy, right? I mean, you can rate people based on their looks. You can rate, you can rate teachers uh, whether or not they're good or, or not. And all you do is just double tap on your phone. It can be a platform just to be plain mean. There's a thing on Jimmy Kimmel where celebrities read mean tweets about themselves. Most of them have a good sense of humor, but some you can tell are actually hurt by the words. Because some of the things people can say uh, are really harsh and, and get away with it because it's all online. Anyways, pray for the young people. <laughs> I remind them if, you know, you shouldn't rely on, on, on the likes that you get to find your worth. You know, you'll never measure up online. Your focus always needs to be on Jesus and finding your worth in him. Another reason technology can cause us to care less is that there is an overwhelming exposure to suffering online, which desensitizes us. The more pain we see, sometimes the harder it is for us to care. When I was younger, when I had cable and the, those, those TV commercials would come on with the, the starving kids from Africa, and, and I, I used to feel so moved by the images I would see. I, I felt so upset uh, and, you know, that inner conviction that I would literally change the channel because uh, I would feel guilty of living in, in a first world country. And to be honest, I've seen so much of that now that it doesn't bother me as much anymore. I've seen picture after picture, post after post. I can see, you know, the hungry kid and it doesn't even bother me nearly as much as I used to, as it used to, because I've been desensitized to it. How many times now have we seen and heard of the school shootings down south? Uh, you know, the, the news, the story after story, so many times it's still painful to hear about, and every shooting is tragic, but I'm not as bothered anymore because I'm so desensitized to them. You know, experts are saying that because we see everything on a timeline, in, in, in the Facebook world, you, you see everything on a timeline, one post, one post, story, a link, we see everything, and our brain doesn't know how to differentiate which one's more important than the other. So you're scrolling through your newsfeed and you see a recipe for guacamole. And, and, then, and then followed by a school shooting. And then another funny cat video. And then, you know, innocent Christians being martyred. Literally, our brain doesn't do well with distinguishing between which one's more important, the guacamole or shooting. And it's because it's all equal on the page. It's equal in our minds. And therefore, we, we start to care less. 
Another way that technology can cause us to care less is a lack of personal interaction. Um, and it makes it easier not to care. For example, someone posts online that their, their dad had just passed away. Initially, I'll see it and I'll say, so sorry for your loss, I'll be praying for you. And I'll do that. But there is still a strong chance that I'll forget about it. Right? I'll write the comment and then go back to watching you know, cat videos or something. That's, that's the reality of social media. Now, if that person were across uh, the room from me, and you say to me, my dad passed away, and I see the sad look on your face, and you explain how, how much he meant to you, how, you, how you loved him, how he loved his grandkids, suddenly I moved to a very deep place in my heart, and I cared deeply for you in a way that I would not from online, from a distance. It's easier to disconnect from a distance, and when we relate so much to others, based on what we see through social media, we end up caring less. So what is the challenge? We, we need to understand that as followers of Christ, God calls us to do so much more. You see, when it comes to compassion, compassion demands action. It's not enough to just say you care and yet do nothing, like, uh, do nothing about it. Click, clicking like isn't enough. Double tapping, you know, pray for Paris isn't enough. Pray for Humboldt. Click, click, like, double tap. Caring is... Caring is not clicking. Caring is acting. Caring is not clicking on something. It actually means being involved to make a difference. Caring is not liking a post, but it's loving a person. It's, it's being moved from the depths of your soul to get outside of yourself, to get involved in the life of someone else. I remember a time when I was living in Winnipeg. This was about seven, eight years ago. I was working at a hospital and I just finished my shift and was waiting for my bus when I, when I saw a lady. She came out of the hospital and, uh, and she was sitting at another bus stop and she was crying. I could tell something was wrong. I mean, coming from the hospital, I figured something terribly wrong had happened. I felt great sorrow for her. I felt like I should have talked to her. I went back and forth in my mind to go and, and sit down with her and talk. But I waited too long. And the next thing I know, my, my bus arrived and I, I selfishly did not want to wait for the next one. Uh, so I got on that bus and never saw that lady again. I knew something was wrong. And she needed maybe someone to talk to or, or I don't know, a, a hug or something. But I ended up waiting too long. And to this day, I have no idea what happened. Compassion demands action. When you look at life, at the life of Jesus, at every time you see the word compassion in the Gospels as related to Jesus, it's always re represented by a corresponding action. Every single time. Any time in the Gospels when you see Jesus was moved with compassion, every time you see an action because he felt something, therefore he did something. Uh, an example, Mark, Mark chapter 1, 40, verses uh, 1, 40 to 41. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begged to be healed. You know, if you are willing, Jesus, you can heal me and, and make me clean. And Jesus was moved with compassion. Therefore, he acted. Jesus reached out. He touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Matthew 20, 34, when some blind guys were crying out to Jesus, what did Jesus have? Compassion for them. And what did he do? He touched their eyes 
and immediately they received sight and they followed him. Jesus felt compassion, therefore he acted. True compassion demands action. Those of us who believe in Christ, we have to help those who are in need. When it comes down to it, the more I obsess over social media, you know, did you like my picture? The more I obsess, uh, you know, about who, the more I obsess over social media, the more I care about myself and the less I care about others. But the more I obsess about Jesus wanting to know him, to serve him, get close to him, the less I care about me. Suddenly, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross. In other words, I'm literally dying to myself and I'm following him. The more I get close to Jesus, the less I care about myself, and strangely, the more I care about other people. Compassion demands action. Now, there's a few things we need to remind ourselves on applying care and compassion towards others. The first thing we should observe is that compassion interrupts. When you look at Jesus, you're going to see time and again when he was interrupted by needs. Let me give you another example. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching in a house. The house is so full, it's overflowing. These four crazy men are trying to get their paralyzed friend into the house, but they can't because of the crowd. So they get up on the roof. Jesus is teaching, and suddenly they're digging through the roof, and roof droppings are falling on Jesus' head. And, and what does he do? You know, like, what if that were to happen here? Um, I think we'd probably call the cops or, or something. I'm not sure. Um, but Jesus stops what he's doing, uh, and he, he listens to the guy. He forgives his sin and then, then actually heals him. He was interrupted. And I think God often works through divine interruptions. And we often miss those because, you know, we're too busy doing our own thing. So compassion interrupts. The second thing is that there is a cost to compassion. Jesus told a, a compelling story about the Good Samaritan guy who goes and helps a Jewish guy, and he goes away, out of his way, to help someone that would have actually hated him. And he bandages this guy up, and he picks him all bloody uh, up, because he's all bloody, and he puts him on his donkey, and he goes and pays two days of his own earnings to a hotel owner so the guy can stay there. I mean, who would take two days of what they make to pay for a total stranger? It costs us. But too often in our culture, we want to do drive-by compassion, right? We want to do what's easy for us. It's, it's not inconvenient. Oh, I'll double tap this. I'll retweet. I'll like this. I'll favorite this. I shared this link. And this is so easy. But, but true compassion generally costs us something. In our church, what are we moved by in this church? What do we move by? What makes us ache from the inside for somebody or something else that, that we are so filled with so much compassion that we have to act? Maybe, maybe you want to mentor a young person. Maybe, maybe you love music so much so you want to help with the, the music ministry. Maybe your heart's captured by a struggling teenager who is wrestling with depression, something complicated like that. Maybe there's someone you know who has lost actually lost a spouse, uh, a widow, and is on their own. You want to help financially. Maybe main thing is that 
you are moved to the point you need to act and serve some purpose. But it's not easy, and it might be difficult. But that's what compassion does. It interrupts and it costs. Which leads to the last thing, and that is compassion changes lives. Everywhere Jesus went, when he was moved with compassion, he changed lives. And I wanted to end with one more example from Jesus. Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I'll tell you, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God and saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. No doubt those people's lives were changed forever, especially the kid and, uh, and the widow. Jesus changed lives, and we are called to do so too. And to do that, we need to get outside of ourselves and care more for others first, because When you get outside of yourself, God does change lives, and often our lives are changed too. I'm just going to pray, and then we will uh, get ready for for communion this morning. Um, Is there a song? Sorry. So yes, communion after this. So I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that your spirit is speaking to us today. I thank you in advance for all the lives that will be impacted when we are moved with compassion, like Jesus, into action for your glory and to serve other people. Thank you for the reminder to look beyond ourselves and to care more for others. We pray for wisdom to navigate technology in this day and age. I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to use technology in a healthy and God-honoring way. Ultimately, God, we pray for you to create in us a hunger to know you even more And when we do, God, we thank you that we will die to ourselves and serve you by serving others. Please help us to be more compassionate and to not only just feel compassionate, but to act on those feelings. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.